Hi, I'm Michaela, a psychotherapist. Hi, I'm Savannah, not a psychotherapist. Welcome to our podcast, Be You, Find Happy. Real life conversations about life and the pursuit of happiness. Hello, how are you? Good. So you're you're going to talk to us all about liminal dreaming today. Am I pronouncing it right? You are pronouncing it right. Okay. And I'm really curious about what liminal dreaming is, but um, I actually have a lot of questions. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about who you are, Jennifer, and, and what you do and kind of how you came into this this field or this career or this path. Sure. So I... I'm a San Francisco-based writer and lecturer, and I've been working in, in the um, field of dreams, which is a funny phrase, but I've been working in the field of dreams for uh, a couple of decades, and I've done a lot of um, sort of more traditional things with dreaming, like lucid dreaming. I've done um, uh, some of my own practices with dreaming. I have a, an international slumber party that works with onerogens, which is any substance or practice that promotes vivid dreaming that I've had going for um, uh, about 11 years. But uh, four or five years ago, I started having really intense experiences with hypnagogia and hypnopompia, which are the dream states between awake and asleep. Hypnagogia as you're falling asleep and hypnopompia as you're waking up. And I realized that these dream states were really different from other dream states and were in- incredibly fascinating. And so I, I started digging into them and my and they became kind of the focus of my work. Wow. Okay. I'd never even heard those terms before. Now I've heard hypnosis. Is that, that's kind of an extension perhaps of, of those two terms you're using? So hypnosis is... Um, the Greek god of sleep. Okay. Um, so uh, hypnosis, so gnosis is knowledge of. So hypnosis is knowledge of, you know, kind of the divinity of sleep. Hypnagogia, agagos is moving toward in Greek. So hypnagogia is moving towards sleep. And uh, pom- pompe is moving away from, like pomp and circumstance. Oh, and so hypnopompnia is moving away from. So you, you may not be familiar with the terms, but you are familiar with the experience. So you know when you're falling asleep and you have that kind of hallucinatory, you know, crazy swirling um, part dream, maybe it's auditory, maybe you hear voices or a radio station, or maybe you're fighting to stay awake at you know what a movie or a performance and you start going into this kind of half yeah dream state that's hypnagogia yeah and then the when you're waking up is kind of when you're not a hundred percent able to function kind of a thing but you're not also not in like a very deep sleep yeah exactly and you might be you might feel like you're you might have you might think that you're forming a thought and then realize that the thought is actually half dream it's very very drifty um, hypnagogia is, is, you know, is kind of idea rich and has a lot of, um, like a lot of people use hypnagogia for generating ideas or creativity. 
Um, and hypnopapia is much more like a really pleasant, um, sort of delicious experience. And are you suggesting that people can control when they're in, in these states? You can, for sure. You can learn to, um, you can learn to really extend the amount of time you spend in these, in these two states. And when you're, um, and in them, I mean, they're both really, they're both fascinating, uh, for, um, like just for consciousness exploration for, um, uh, you know, for being able to see what the weird things that are happening in your mind. I mean, it's, they're really unusual states and that you can also channel them toward various ends and people have been doing so for actually literally thousands of years, um, have been using hypnagogia more, but also hypnopotmia, um, you know, to come up with ideas, you know, like the, the periodic table was conceived in a hypnagogic dream. And Kekule, and Kekule uh, famously conceived the benzene ring in a hypnagogic dream. And Edison and Dali used it to generate ideas for, you know, experiments and art. And there's a lot of different practices that you can, you, you, you can use hypnagogia for various ends. You can't really control the state itself, but you can control your ability to spend time in it and you can focus it. So how, so what is the liminal dreaming then? What is that piece of it? How does that connect? So liminal is a word. Um, it comes from the Latin word limen, where we get words like limit. And it means like a threshold or a doorway or an in-between. It's, it's both here and there and neither here nor there. So um, it's my word for both hypnagogia and hypnopotmia together. Both those states together are liminal dreams. One of the things that's amazing about, like when you, when you learn, so when you, when you experiment and learn to um, sort of uh, uh, be conscious within hypnagogia and hypnopotmia, um, one of the things that characterizes these states is that you're both awake and asleep at the same time. So you're awake enough that you know where you are. You know you're lying in your bed. You can listen to what's happening around you. You know, you, I, I can be like, oh, look, I, my neighbor upstairs is yelling. He's listening to a sporting event or I can hear, you know, I can hear the conversation my spouse is having in the other room and I can tell what he's saying. You know, I mean, I can hear the, I can count the clock chimes. Like I know where I am. I know I'm lying in my bed, but I'm also dreaming at the same time. I'm also in this very light dream state. Right. Um, so you're both awake and asleep and neither awake and asleep and you're having these dreams that are different from REM dreams. They're not, um, it's not like you're in a narrative. So when the people at the fair put people to sleep or, and, and then have them do funny things that they tell them to do, they say they're hypnotized. What state would they be in? Actually, those people are probably in deeper state. They're probably in theta and they don't know where they are. And that's one, and that's one of the things that characterizes a um, liminal dream states is that you know where you are. Those states. Do you are think a, it's real what they do at the fair? Um, I don't know. What do you mean by real? I mean, do you think those people are truly asleep? Sure. Wow. Yeah. So this, sure. so this is kind of demonstrative of how we can control control things about our sleep in some ways. Then. Yeah, you can totally control things about your sleep. I mean, you can control things about your consciousness, you know, and, and you can go into these experiences, you know, when you're in hypnagogia or hypnopotmia, what you're having is kind of um, 
usually, I mean, it gets into little dream scenes, like a REM dream, where, like, you know, like, REM dreams are kind of like waking world, except weirder, right? You're just moving through the world, and you're like, tra-la-la, yeah, I'm on the moon with a bunch of squirrels, or whatever it is, right? It's, but you, you believe it at the time, right? And it's, so it's sort of like, like the world, like you're moving through, like you're moving through life. But um, in hypnagogy and hypnopotmia, there doesn't tend to be stories in the same way. There's kind of like a, just a swirl of images and associations and sounds and, you know, tactile perceptions or whatever. So you're, you're sort of seeing what's happening in your mind, but in a different, in a different way. So it's a very, it's a very unusual experience. And so how do these, how do these, this, these particular dream states, how can they, how can they help us or how can they heal us or how can we use them to our benefit? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, uh, I, I can give you a lot of answers, but I'm going to um, I'm going to pounce on one word you used, which is heal. So um, uh, in my book, Liminal Dreaming, uh, I have uh, about 18 exercises and practices, ways, both ways that you can learn to locate and linger in liminal dream and uh, and then ways that you can direct it. One of these is um, uh, it sort of it comes from. Carl Jung, and it's the practice of active imagination. And what he believed was that if you went into um, basically a hypnagogic state and then um, uh, used creativity, which he believed was the language of the unconscious, to translate that state into the waking world, you would it would that would bring about a great amount of mental healing. Like when he had a really traumatic experience when he and Freud, his mentor basically split up and so he came up with this practice where basically you keep something that you would use to express your creativity maybe it's clay that you want to mold he did paintings famously he painted the red book um or you know you i mean you can keep a camera your phone camera if you want to choreograph a dance whatever it is you go into a hypnagogic state and you like you sort of uh see what happens in there you you know there's images and symbols and thoughts and whatever and then you um you come out of the hypnagogic state and then you use your creativity to start um, making some piece of art and then that make the the act of creatively making the piece of art he felt was integrating the unconscious into the waking world and you keep going back into the hypnagogia and coming out until you finish that piece of art might take hours it might take days it might take years um, and the point is not to have a good finished piece of art, like a, like a museum where the art, it's the process of using creativity to translate hypnagogia into the waking world. And, and Jung thought that that was, that was, you know, like basically that's like going to a therapist. That, that's a real, it's an amazing way of healing any kind of um, mental, you know, whatever trauma or uh, upset or whatever it is. And so how does that work? Is the idea that the subconscious has the tools or something like that or? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, 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 yes, exactly. I mean, I think a lot of the idea is that we already know what we need to heal, right? You already have the knowledge of the, you know, or if you're doing dream incubation, you already have the knowledge of what the right answer is for you or, you know, whatever. You already have the, the balance the mental balance inside of you, you just need to bring it, bring it out kind of into your waking existence, into the waking world. And so in your book, you talk about how to do that through these 18 different exercises. Exactly. So there's, 
Um, the first part of the book is about um, uh, how learning how to go into these states and some explanation of what they are, both scientific explanation about what you know, uh, uh, what dreams, what what sleep stages, basically what all brainwave states are, what they are, and some a little bit of history, and then um, and then a lot of exercises for to learn them, and then the second half of the book is a bunch of essays on different ways that uh, liminal dreaming has been used. So, um, so th like there's a there's a chapter on active imagination, which I just talked to you about about Jung and Freud and the Sufi idea of mundus imaginalis and how hypnagogia plays into that. For example, so there's a bunch of different chapters, and each one has a different way to use liminal dreaming, um, a different practice, and a different history that goes with it. So, so what are what are? Can you give me an example of one of the exercises? What does it require? Sure. Um, so I mentioned earlier um, uh, Thomas Edison and Salvador Dali, independently of each other, came up with the same exercise for using hypnagogia. And um, Thomas Edison used it to generate um, ideas for inventions. And he invented a lot of what we use in our daily lives. And Salvador Dali used it to generate ideas for art. So what they would do is um, uh, they each would take um, metal plates and put them on the ground um, on either side of an easy chair. I mean, Dolly used one, Edison used two. And when they were really sleepy, you know, there's often a time when, you're, when your energy really dips and you kind of get really sleepy. When they were really sleepy, they would sit back in a really, really comfortable, easy chair. And um, uh, Edison held a ball in each hand and Dali held um, a big brass Spanish key, he's very specific, in one hand and they would sit back in the easy chair and Edison kept a notebook and a pencil next to him and Dali kept a sketch pad and they would, they would uh, sit back and go into hypnagogia, like start to settle into a nap and go into that hypnagogic space, Edison holding the balls and Dali holding the key. And as soon as they started to actually fall asleep, as soon as they started to exit hypnagogia and fall asleep, they would naturally drop what they were holding. So the balls are the key and they would hit the metal plate on the ground and wake up each man. And then Edison just immediately started writing down ideas and Dali started sketching. So basically they were mining the hypnagogic space for creativity or for problem solving or for ideas. So you can do that too. Um, you can hold like a handful of change or like a jingly dog toy and you can sit back in a chair and you can keep like a pad of paper and a notebook or, uh, or you know, a pencil, a pen. I, I like to use like a voice activated recorder. You can buy an app for three bucks or five bucks and put it on your phone and just keep it next to you. And as soon as you start talking, it starts recording. And then just, you, and you can, so you can use that same exercise um, if you're trying to, uh, you know, come up with ideas so or, you know, your own writing or whatever it is. Is there a best time of day? It depends on your circadian rhythm. We all have different circadian rhythms, which, which are inherited. It's genetic. So, um, you know, some people wake up, I mean, as soon as they wake up, they pop out of bed. They're wide awake. They're ready to go, you know, and as soon as they start working, when they're freshest, freshest is when they work best. And often at night, they're like the ones who are ready to go to bed earliest. 
those people have a, a have a lark chronotype, um, and for them, um, uh, probably like uh, evening, like late evening, is a good time. If you're the kind of person who wakes up really slowly and you're kind of confused in the morning, you're the last person awake at the party. Um, is the longer you work, the better that you do. You have an owl chronotype, so probably um, late afternoon would be good for you. Um, people who are lark chronotypes do really well working with hypnagogia. They often don't remember their dreams. They have a harder time remembering their dreams because they wake up too quickly. People with owl chronotypes um, are really good with hypnopompia because they can linger in bed. So, I mean, how you dream. That's funny. You just described my husband and myself. <laughs> yep, me too. He, I'm an he owl. He always remembers his dreams. Yeah, I guess he's an owl. He's always up late and slow to wake in the morning, and I'm the opposite. I get real drowsy in the evening and pop up pretty well in the morning. Yep. And so it's, it's in, and like I say, those are inherited. So I, I heard of a type of sleep circadian called biphasic. And I guess it was a thing of our ancestors where they would hunt twice a day and then take like mini naps. Does that? Well, but yeah. And, and by, and there's also biphasic sleep and it, it and it's before um, the advent of electric light, people didn't used to sleep eight hours. People used to sleep in two shifts. So you would sleep, um, uh, probably you would sleep like three hours um, and then you would wake up for probably like 90 minutes or so. And then you would sleep again for maybe another four or five hours. And it was called first sleep and second sleep. And the time in between those two sleeps is when you would do, maybe you would read or sew or smoke or have sex or go feed the cows or whatever. Um, and, um, and if you read through history, you'll hear people talking about first sleep and second sleep. And a lot of, um, a lot of people who um, suffer from various forms of insomnia wake up, you know, after three hours and are awake for a while. And they think, oh, God, I'm sleeping poorly. But in fact, naturally, that's what we do. Um, naturally, we have first sleep and second sleep. So that's that's called biphasic sleep. And I, like I say, before there was electric light, before the Industrial Revolution, um, that was just how everybody slept. There's also, so, there's also multiphasic sleep where people sleep, you know, 90 minutes on, 90 minutes off. So ironically, you're talking about Thomas Edison and the Industrial Revolution and the introduction of light. How has that changed our ability to tap into the cre creative spaces that we have? How has light changed? That's a darn good question, madam. You know, it's uh, hypnagogia um, and especially hypnopompia are not written about very much. It's surprising to me how little work has been done on these states. So I mean, we know some of the practices that have come down through history. Aristotle writes about hypnagogia. Um, a lot of ancient cultures use hypnagogia and um, you know, and, and you, you, if you look back through the literature, you can see that people are when, when people are talking about this state between awake and asleep and this, um, you know, and the ways that they've used it and, and how they've done it. But it hasn't been studied, really. Um, you know, my book is one of the first. There's a book from the 1980s called Hypnagogia by this guy, Andreas Mavramados. But uh, otherwise, there, there are very few books actually on the topic. There's very little study of it done. 
So, I mean, you know, we, we know how people used it and thought about it, but we don't, we don't, you know, not much research, not much people talking about it per se. So I did, I had a guest on a couple months back and I've done this often. It's called a cacao dream journey where basically yeah. you have the cacao and then you're laying down and then the, she incorporates music and, and, you know, different herbal aromatics and things like that. And I would kind of describe that experience as the hypnopompia that you're talking about. Like, um, you know, you're, uh, you're aware that you're in a room with people and you're laying on a yoga mat, but you're also in a very different space in your brain. Exactly. It's hypnagogic because it's when you're, because you have, you have to have been asleep for a while. Oh, right. Go through hypnopompia. It's okay. hypnagogic. Right. But you are, you are absolutely correct that, and that in fact, that's a great example of a hypnagogia practice. Those, some of those cacao ceremonies, which work a little bit like yoga nidra, Right. Um, which, which is also a practice for going into liminal dream states, for going into hypnagogia. Right. Um, oh, so you've, had, you, you've gone and done one of these, uh, what, you know, did you do one or did you talk, talk to her about it? No, many times I've done them with her. And um, I've always had the most profound insights to direction that I need to go in my life from them. Bingo. But she, That's exactly but she it. guides so, them. They're guided. So she takes you, you open certain doors or you open, you go into certain spaces and you close certain things when you leave. And you know what I mean? She's, she's directing it with her voice. That's the only thing. No, but, 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 but that's fine. And, and, it's, and, and that's, I mean, that is an excellent way to go into hypnagogia. That's still hypnagogia. And it's the same thing with, um, with yoga nidra. So, um, uh, yoga Nidra, which is a very, uh, I mean, like most yoga practices that we have in our modern world, it's, it, the, it first is referenced in very ancient texts, although the practice with which we're familiar was kind of formed in the 60s and 70s. And it's a guided meditation. And you're listening, I mean, somebody's talking the whole time. You're lying on the yoga mat. It's a guided meditation that leads you down into a liminal dream space and and um and then lead you out of it again and you can actually if you're um uh if you go to my site liminaldreaming.com there's some exercises that people can do to to locate hypnagogia themselves but you can also um uh listen just listen to a yoga nidra n-i-d-r-a and if you go online there's a lot of free yoga nidras that you can download and uh, and i also also i'm a i teach yoga nidra um uh, and you can download those and you can have somebody else bring you, talk you into a hypnagogic experience um, and have those experiences like you had of having those of having those insights into, you know, what to do next. I mean, I've you know, I, I, I give classes and workshops and I have there's whole pieces of the workshops that I teach in classes that have come to me in hypnagogia. Wow. So what about people who say they're afraid? Yes, you know, that's a really good question and something that I have been uh, spending a lot of time thinking about um, because some people do have fearful experiences um, and sleep paralysis is also often, uh, you know, uh, something that happens in liminal dream space. And then there's also just, um, you know, fear that comes out of these spaces. But the, I mean, uh, my answer is, 
uh, that that's that that's the work that you have to do. If there's fear coming out, if when you go into these spaces where you're really tapping into your unconscious while with, with the awareness of your waking mind, if what comes up out of those spaces is fear, then that's unfortunately really the work that you have to do. That means you have fear. And it's a and actually these these um, these exercises are great ways of working with fear. So I mean, what you want to what you want to do is you want to um, try to do uh, do something that that gives you like security, and then go into those spaces. So for example, you can work with scent, you know, a scent that's really comforting to you like the scent of rose is great um, but if there's a scent that you are particularly familiar with that's really comforting to you maybe it's rose maybe it's your mother's perfume you know whatever it is keep that scent near you uh, as a kind of a, and go into hypnagogia because you're, so the sense your sense of smell and your sense of hearing never go to sleep the rest of your senses do when you fall asleep you know chemicals and different things in the body um, try to, you know, put you to sleep so you don't act out your dreams, but there's no reason for hearing and smell to go to sleep. So you can really work with hearing and smell, or if there's a sound, you know, like record, uh, you know, record your, 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 you know, whatever it is, the sound of your partner or your child, or, you know, the wind through the trees or your favorite song or whatever, and have that playing when you go into hypnagogia as kind of a security blanket. You know, and yeah. uh, and then go into those spaces and um, and try to explore what what's what is the fear? What's making what's how what's coming up in the fear? And in fact, people are using um, like yoga nidra, like going into these hypnagogic spaces to work with people, for example, who have PTSD. Um, people are using um, like the iRest or um, is using it for PTSD. The yoga nidra network is using it for pain. Um, you know, women in childbirth, that kind of thing. So they're actually saying that going into hypnagogia and exploring, like, like purposely going in and exploring what that fear is, is, a, is it's actually a really safe way to face that fear because it's a dream space. So, so you hear some people say that they've done drugs that are similar to that. What, what is the correlation there between when people do drugs and have these types of creative experiences or something versus the dream state you know i mean there's a, i mean hypnagogia and hypnopatmia are especially hypnagogia because it's really it's kaleidoscopic and fast moving and free associative and i mean it, it it's very it's actually fairly similar to some kind of psychedelic experiences um and uh in fact uh, you know uh people who are interested in psychedelic consciousness often are really uh have a great time <laughs> with um with liminal dream spaces with hypnagogia and people who are interested in what that consciousness is but don't necessarily want to take um a psychedelic drug either because it's illegal or because it's really strong or um because they can't they don't want to deal with the hangover whatever it is um uh going into liminal dream space is actually a really good way of exploring a kind of a psychedelic consciousness um, because you are having this experience of of your mind that's so different um, so and, it's tapping and the, into the same receptors in the brain then again it's hard to know um, um uh 
So there, there are now some studies being done with what's happening in the brain with psychedelic drugs. Like there's a study that is happening at UC Berkeley, um, uh, you know, where you're putting people into CAT scans and seeing what, you know, what's, or the, um, the Beckley Institute in England is also doing some studies with brain imaging with people on psychedelic drugs and seeing what parts of the brain are lighting up when things happen. But it's very new research. And I mean, what you need is you need to take, you need to do the same thing with hypnagogy and hypopnea and see what's lighting up. And, and that just hasn't, that work just hasn't been done. So sometimes when we're in these dream states, we have almost surreal or real conversations, what feels very real conversations with people that maybe we haven't seen in a long time or people that have passed on. How do you explain that? And do you think that if the people are still living or perhaps even if they're past, that they are actually there on some level? You know, there's, there's, it's, it's, a, it's an unexplainable phenomenon. One of the things that I've really learned in my dream work, and especially with this liminal dream work, is there's, um, there's, a, lot of ex- there's a lot of experiences that are really extraordinary. Um, and uh, I, I, don't, I don't pretend that, that my expertise in, in liminal dreaming qualifies me to answer <laughs> questions like that. But I do know that there are, I mean, but, I'll, but what I can say is that, the, that there are amazing experiences. There are experiences beyond what we can really explain and what we normally have. Um, and, and they're amazing to have them. So is every good, is every idea that comes from a hypnagogic state a good idea? Oh, probably not. Um, <laughs> you know, that's the classic. That's the classic when people are talking to like with Ouija boards where they're saying, what makes you think that that dead people are any smarter than living? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I mean, but again, what, uh, what you're really doing is you're tapping into your own unconscious. So good idea or bad idea, you know, they're yours. It's something you know, or you maybe need. you're or maybe you are tapping into something larger you know, like, like Jung thought that our dreaming could be cultural, you know, or tribal, you know, with your people, or you're talking about maybe there are, you know, what, the dream realms, whatever you think the dream realms are that you're tapping into is what you're, uh, is what you're tapping into. Um, but um, so maybe not all your ideas are good. But I think when you get your daytime waking, controlling ego out of the way, and learn to listen to what your sort of uh, deeper unconscious has to say, you often will, will find certainly interesting answers. And in some cases, answers that you're really happy to have or questions that you're really happy to have. I mean, it, your, your unconscious knows things that you don't know you know. I like that. I, I know that I've experienced that within the cacao dream journeys. And what's interesting is everyone who's been on a dream journey at the same time as I have in the same space that I have has had a different experience. And I guess that's driven by the unconscious process that is unfolding. Exactly. Dreaming is both the most um, co- one of the most common human experiences. Every human that has ever lived has had this really bizarre visionary psychedelic experience and yet each for each one of us our dreaming is so incredibly personal because it's from your your completely and totally unique beings unconscious you know so it's 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 this very common experience and yet it's a completely individual experience 
sometimes my son has said in the past, he said, um, mommy, is this real or am I dreaming this during the <laughs> day? He said that to me. And, and, you know, my answer was kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, from the I, mouths of babes. That's a really philosophical question. He, yeah. He does that a lot. <laughs> and, um, and it's, and it's like, I told him, I said, I think I'm real. I think you're real. And I think we're sharing a real experience, but, but I don't know, maybe I am just a part of your dream. <laughs> well, you know, the Tibetan Buddhists who are the most um, traditional, uh, both liminal dreamers. I have a chapter about this in the book and lucid dreamers uh, went into lucid. We're partly learning to meditate in lucid dream states um, because they, uh, they believe that um, uh, daytime existence isn't real and, uh, you know, it's all illusion. And so by learning to be conscious in the dream, you learn to treat the world around you with the knowledge that it's not real. And then you teach yourself how to do that so that in the waking world, you also can treat the world around you as if it's not real. Wow. Yeah. That's an overwhelming thought. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so when people are working with you, what's one of the most common questions that you get? I, well, let me see. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pretty common questions. Some of the ones that you have asked, what do I think is happening in the dream world? Uh, what's, what's, you know, uh, people want to learn, uh, liminal dreaming as a bridge to lucid dreaming. People want to learn liminal dreaming to sort of have sort of psychedelic experiences. People want to learn liminal dreaming to have visionary experiences, um, creativity. People want to learn liminal dreaming. You know, humans are hardwired to experiment with consciousness. Little kids spin in circles and roll down hills. As adults, we do sweat lodges or cacao ceremonies or run to get runners high or drink alcohol. We love to experiment with consciousness. It's clearly there's something in the experience of being slightly other than what we are that is both fun and also um, teaches us something about ourselves and about existence. You know, and so, you know, when people are, people are coming to me for the experience uh, and a lot of them are coming to me for, um, you know, uh, uh, just to learn why they would even want to learn it. So how can people, I mean, you mentioned your website, you mentioned your book, how can people get in contact with you? Do you offer workshops and things? Or? I do. Yeah. I, I offer classes and workshops. Um, I'm giving one in San Francisco uh, at the uh, Dharma Collective on October 11th and 12th. The Dharma Collective is kind of a non-denominational uh, Buddhist center um, in Southern Market in San Francisco. Um, I'm giving, um, I'm doing an event at the uh, Oregon Psychedelic Society uh, in August. Uh, that's on August 13th. I'm giving one at the Seattle Psychedelic Society on uh, August 14th. Um, and in a place called uh, uh, Third Base Books in Seattle on August 15th. Very cool. For example. So we can include some of those in the show notes. Um, and then is your book available on Amazon? 
My book is available on Amazon. It's okay. called Liminal Dreaming, Exploring Consciousness at the Edges of Sleep. Um, it's available on Amazon and at most bookstores. Penguin distributes it. So, and you're and you're suggesting this book is good for people who want to be creative thinkers or expand their creative outlets, as well as people who are maybe looking to heal from past trauma. Exactly, and people who are interested in um, in exploring consciousness. People who are interested in in going in and playing with their remarkable minds. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on today. And I really look forward to um, sharing this liminal dreaming concept with the listeners. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. Yeah, we'll talk soon. Bye bye. Bye bye. This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. (laughs) For more inspiration, check out our links. Bye bye. Bye bye.